Hello, welcome or welcome back to the Just Eat Normally podcast for eating disorder recovery with me, Dr. Rachel Evans. I am a psychologist, hypnotherapist with a PhD in the psychology of eating and specialist training in eating disorder recovery as well as personal experience of going through an eating disorder and coming out the other side which makes me super passionate about what I do and in every episode as with my one-to-one clients I'm bringing you academic knowledge, information and theories as well as therapeutic skills and personal experiences, be that mine or experiences of my guests, for a unique perspective on eating disorder recovery. So join me on this podcast as I speak to fellow experts in eating disorder recovery, eating disorder survivors with inspiring stories, and also throw in some bite-sized solo episodes with recovery tips or new ways for you to think about things. The goal of this podcast is to give you food for thought, to shift your mindset, to boost your motivation, and to help you find your own version of normal eating, which will allow you to live a truly nourished life. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today I am here with Hannah Hickenbotham, who is the host of the Full of Beans podcast, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about at the end because I know it's like a super successful um, podcast to do with eating disorder recovery. And Hannah uses her personal, clinical and educational experience to raise awareness and reduce the stigma associated with eating disorders. So thank you so much for coming to join us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's lovely to be on. Oh, you're welcome. So I know that you have your own experience with an eating disorder. And I was wondering if we could kind of go back to the beginning. Um, and I asked kind of every guest if they're happy to talk about it. What was your relationship with food and your body like when you were growing up? Sure. Yeah. Um, it feels like such a long time ago now. Um, but I think my my general relationship with food and body, I don't ever really have a good memory of it. Um, I think, you know, I, I've got one really vivid memory of being at school, uh, maybe like year two. Um, so like, what, six or seven years old and throwing my what's away into the bin um, at snack time because I thought, oh, if I throw them away, then, you know, I'll hopefully be able to lose a bit of weight. Um, and I don't think I was ever overweight I think I was maybe slightly larger than my peers um but you know as a child sometimes that happens um but as I was then growing up my my parents have always been quite diet focused um so is my grandma so is my sister it's been quite like a female dominated thing in my kind of household that the the females were always on a diet so I think I always had this idea that you know women needed to be cautious of what they ate they needed to look a certain way in order to be valued in order to be loved whereas the men in my life have always had quite a free flexible relationship um you know my brother is like six foot five um so and I'm five foot one so like the kind of comments that we got when we were younger were quite different in terms of what like people kind of said oh you can eat this and and Hannah can't sort of thing um so I think I always had those internalized comments throughout um and then 
it was I think probably when I was about 13 14 um I'd had this great summer I was going out every single day with my friends and we'd be at the park all day spending all our pocket money on like co-op meal deals and kind of crisps and snacks and stuff like that and at the end of the summer my mum was like well I think you've gained a bit of weight um maybe we should think about a diet and I don't think that she meant it in any negative way whatsoever um but for somebody like myself who's very perfectionistic and just wants to please everybody I was like okay yeah cool um but I think what was a diet typically you know my mum just wanted me to maybe cut out a few snacks eat a bit more fruit for me became then when I developed my eating disorder yeah so it actually started really young yeah for you I guess if you're having it modeled or we go on a diet you're almost picking that up and not questioning I'm six years old do I really need to be on a diet I probably need yeah. that energy to run around at playtime mm-hmm. um but obviously that's not how you think as a six-year-old um yeah and so did did people recognize what was happening to you like when you were 13 or did they kind of think I suppose what happens for a while people think oh it's a diet oh they're just being healthy or oh they're naturally just losing some yeah. weight and it kind of goes under the radar for a while yeah I think I think when I was little I was a massive foodie like I absolutely love food I'd always be like when's our next meal like what we're going to be having like it really excited me um and so I think when you know that age like 13 14 or whatever um you see your teen years you start being a bit moody and everything um and I think so my sister had previously experienced like she'd been on diets like I said and stuff so I think my dad just thought that when girls got to that age it was almost like a phase sort of thing um and I was very sneaky about it like I think I initially like I said it was just a diet but then I cottoned on to it and I also I had a Tumblr account which I think Tumblr like it can be great for like artists and stuff but on the mental health side of things like that swept me straight under um there was a lot of content on there that like gave me a lot of ideas it almost you then sit in a community of people that you know are posting all of these things and you're oh yeah I, I I agree with that and you know it really brought me down um but because it was giving me so many ideas, I was then able to like sneakily do that at home. And what was a diet then, you know, rapidly became an eating disorder. And I I think for a while, unfortunately, the society that we live in, um, you know, weight loss is praised. And I'd gone from a pretty nerdy, kind of antisocial, quite shy girl, and I was losing weight. And, you know, unfortunately that at that age you know being slimmer was glorified I had comments from all my friends mums saying how good I looked I was getting a little bit more attention at school kind of hanging out with the cooler kids a bit more more comments from boys so it was all massively kind of it felt amazing um and you know I would go to the gym and the cool kids were at the gym so they were like letting me spend more time with them and stuff and then I think I think when I was about 14 and a half to 15 that's when my mum was like yeah something's not something's not right here um sort of the secrecy 
had become quite obvious um and she comments now about how you know she'd hear like banging from my room where I'd be doing exercise in my room um but the way that I was really sneaky I just I decided to make up that I wanted to become a chef so I needed to practice cooking at home which meant that I had control over the meals um and at that age my dad was working nights my mum had her own business so it meant I was on my own quite a lot in terms of like lunch times um or like making my lunch in the morning to take to school and having breakfast so those times I just could completely manage it um and at the time my best friend at school developed an eating disorder so then there was that normalization within the group but also that competitive aspect um so I think yeah I think it did massively go under the radar for quite a while and then all of a sudden it was like hmm something's you know Hannah's not engaging quite as much in food in the way that she used to yeah did anything happen at that point I know you said your mum mentioned it to you or realized what was happening yeah so we went we went to the doctor um and my my kind of it's really strange actually I think um the whole period from about 14 to 18 for me is quite blurry um and I genuinely think I always say this it sounds silly but and you just said that you've got a baby so you might know this but apparently I don't have children but you know childbirth is known for being really really like a horrible pain apparently there's hormones released that so it almost you forget the pain slightly so that you'll have another baby and that's how we prolong the species and my theory I have no scientific backing to this by the way is that you know that that experience was so painful that my brain has almost kind of forgotten about it um in order to kind of let me carry on let me survive because the kind of trauma from those four years would be quite painful to sort of um remember and I I think I don't know we'll come on to this later but I think that's why my relapse has happened because I can't really remember that experience but I mean I remember going to the GP um and them saying, yeah, something's not quite right. Um, and I got referred on to CAMS then, which is the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service through the NHS in the UK. Um, but I was diagnosed with atypical anorexia. So I have I had lost about a third of my body weight. Um, but like I said, I was maybe a little bit overweight before. So my BMI didn't come down. I think it was kind of just above um, what it needs to be for kind of anorexia. Um and so when I went to treatment, I I don't know whether this is kind of looking back now, I don't know whether this is my perspective of how it actually was, but I just felt like a complete failure and a fraud. Um, and I just, I didn't engage with the treatment because I thought they were just looking at me like, come on, you've not, you've not got the kind of full blown diagnosis in quote marks there. Um so so why are you here sort of thing and and they just make comments like at the time we were renovating our kitchen and my mum was very worried about me because we only had a microwave and it was we kind of be, tried to be creative like cooking pasta in the microwave and doing things like that um but it was it was really hard um and my mum had said like oh we don't know what to do because Hannah's struggling to eat and they were like oh why don't you just order a pizza and that like lack of awareness of you know she she's struggling to eat kind of a home-cooked meal that we're doing and you're asking us to order a pizza so I ended up actually leaving the um, NHS treatment and trying to go my own way which just for record doesn't work (laughs) not for me anyway 
Yeah, I mean, I can understand in that situation why you'll feel like if you're not being heard or mm-hmm. I think sometimes like, um, it's obviously not this black and white, but sometimes it's like that eating disorder part of you wants any reason yeah. to, I suppose, keep on surviving. Like, oh, but it's not that bad. You're not as sick as yeah. those other people. And it's almost like they've given you that ammo for that. And I hear for a lot of people um, who haven't managed to get into treatment because they don't meet certain thresholds when actually mm-hmm. if you look at their life and their quality of life and how it's impacting them it's having a really significant impact they're not okay but because we have these criteria which I mean it's a good thing that we um do on one hand um I don't think the NHS would work <laughs> without no. certain guidelines and policies and criteria and things but then there's a lot of people who are slipping through the gaps who need individualized care that we just can't yeah I say we I'm not even in the NHS I chose not to work <laughs> in the NHS for these reasons but that can't be provided through that system um and just to touch on the point that you made earlier, yeah it is funny because um I feel like when I was giving birth I was making a lot of noises but yeah in my head I'm like I was coping I think I was coping really well (laughs) and it was like I think also just from what I've read about childbirth everyone has a very different experiences of of the pain um as well some people like oh it wasn't painful it was almost nice and some people oh my god it was the worst thing I've ever experienced I think (laughs) even even within that it's very different um for different people but I think how all the chemical um changes are happening at the time so like when I was in labor I like couldn't communicate it was really weird like um I couldn't say a full sentence and I wanted to get my husband to pass me some water and I was just doing this like grabby motion with my hand because obviously just the stuff that you get that goes on in your body that I hadn't realized um yeah which then turned out not to be good (laughs) I wanted to try and communicate to the midwives and stuff and didn't really know what was going on um but your brain isn't storing memories in the same way that it normally would when all that stuff is going on so I guess potentially for you if you were having that experience which was kind of traumatic at the time even though you didn't realize it as that you're probably like but I want to be doing all these things let me just carry on doing them then potentially your brain hasn't stored the memories yeah in the same way so they're not accessible um as a regular Mm-hmm. And also, I suppose, just if you ask anyone what happened at school, they probably have some memories, yeah, but they don't remember everything ever. So I think sometimes that might be another part of it. Yeah, true. Yeah, too. Yeah. I've got some really vivid memories of civil school, and I think, what did I do all day, every day? Because I can, <laughs> however many years. Um. Yeah. So you realize that treatment um wasn't for you and you kind of went your own way um and I know that we have spoken about that you um feel like you were going through a relapse at the moment so I guess what happened in the interim I guess was there a period of time that you did feel more stable or more recovered mm-hmm. and like I suppose how in a nutshell how did you get to that point <laughs> so I think basically what happened 14 to 18 was bad mm-hmm. and then 18 I got a new boyfriend um and at the time um I felt really good because I'd got a boyfriend um and he was really into the gym and he was like okay you can come with me but you've got to start eating but so that mentality worked for a bit but it gave me the mentality that um I was eating to go to the gym so when the gym was when the gym wasn't there I didn't need to eat um 
and then over time I got really into the gym like I really enjoyed it. I actually felt really good it wasn't like a compulsive or excessive thing in the slightest I then went off to uni um and there was powerlifting society and I'd not I'd heard of powerlifting but I hadn't done it before I'd just kind of like messed around in the gym um but they were really keen because they'd not had like you know I said I'm before I'm five foot one so pretty short um and one of the execs was like I want to coach you like it'd be really cool and good for my experience to have someone short um so I started doing the powerlifting I got made so many friends at uni like it was such an amazing club I felt like I'd found my people um and we'd go to the gym and you know we'd be there for hours but literally we'd just be chatting rather than anything so it it felt great to be exercising but in a community um but then I went for my first competition and in powerlifting, it's a weight categorized sport. So at the time I fit perfectly into a weight category, did it, loved it, thought this is my sport, um, got really like into it. You know, I was, I was fueling myself really well. And then the second com- competition came around and naturally, you know, I'd put on muscle cause I'd been training really hard and I'd gained weight, but I was adamant that I was not going up a weight category I was going into weight category I'd started at and so that's when I sort of the disordered eating came back in I was now exercising quite compulsively um and so my friends from the club sat me down and they were like you know things might be fine but we are quite worried about you um so I went back to the eating disorder service this time to the adult eating disorder service and the difference there is in the child children's service they they kind of you're not force fed, but like, if you need help, you get help. Whereas an adult service, you know, it's your decision basically. And they diagnosed me with atypical anorexia again. And I was like, oh, screw this. I'm not doing this. Like I've had this before. So I left and again, tried to go my own way. And I would say for the next like two years, it was fine. Like I was, I was very much living with the eating disorder in my shadow, but I was, you know, happily going out for meals, going out for drinks. Like I could, if somebody offered me a cake, I could eat it, you know, quite spontaneously. There'd be some guilt there. And on the day to day, I was still tracking calories and stuff, but it, it felt, it felt, you know, manageable. Um, and then COVID hit, um, just before COVID, I'd had loads and loads of life changes. So I had moved in with my partner. Um, we weren't kind of planning to move in together, but it just, he was coming over from Guernsey to Cambridge. I was starting my master's in London. So it made sense for us to both live in Cambridge together. Um, so moved to a new city that I'd never expected to live in and had no friends. Um, moved in with my partner, started a master's, started a full-time job um, and there was other things as well that were going on at the time so there was loads of changes and it wasn't so much the eating disorder but I just fell into a hole of anxiety like I was so anxious all the time I couldn't be at home on my own um like literally like if my partner wanted to go away for the weekend I'd have to go home because I just couldn't be on my own so I started some therapy at the time um and found out through that that I had body dysmorphia um And so I had the therapy, which really, really helped. But unfortunately, the COVID then hit. And this space that I kind of, before I had the anxiety, so that really filled my time and the body just more because I was checking my body all the time. And then, unfortunately, I had all this time during COVID and we were told 
exercise it's great for you um so I, I did I just started exercising all the time um and then the eating was still fine at this point but the exercise got silly so I did some therapy on that as well and it kind of felt fine um and I felt like I was in a good place and I'd previously I'd done a master's in eating disorders and clinical nutrition started the podcast everything was going well like I felt like I could kind of learn and engage in eating disorders without being triggered myself so I got a job um working at an eating disorder clinic but the job was full-time at home which I hadn't been told it was going to be at the interview it was going to be part-time at home part-time in the um in the clinic and I just rapidly you know I was all I was doing was talking about eating disorders day in day out and other people's eating disorders there wasn't really any space for me to talk about how it was impacting me and so I just rapidly like you know I fell apart um I had to take two weeks off for mental health leave felt really great after that I was like yeah I'm back I'm good and then in the February I was just a complete shell I think at the time it was more depression um I literally would just like be on the sofa and couldn't get up the sofa, which is not like me at all like I am very much a get out and about kind of person um so I left there which I thought was a really good decision had two months off sick and then started a new job and the new job was supposed to be like a very act not active in terms of like exercise but um like really engaging job going in loads having colleagues that's all the stuff I wanted and I walked into the office and there was no one there and I've been there for seven months and probably done two weeks worth of work like there's just nothing to do and so in that period of time I just turned to the eating disorder I felt so useless and so low um and yeah that's where we're at now and I'm kind of in the depth of a relapse which is fun yeah I think thank you for explaining that to us it sounds like there's so many situational factors Mm -hmm. being thrown your way and actually you've done the work to work out like oh what do I need Mm -hmm. Uh, flourishing is a word that's come to my head I know it's a bit cheesy but like you know (laughs) what do I need to feel good on a day-to-day I need more contact with people than just being in my house talking about everyone's eating disorders but then unfortunately when you've tried to achieve that it's not come through the way that you wanted um yeah I know with my uh, eating disorder as well that it had ups and downs like being isolated or having a lot of stress and a lot of pressure they were all like triggers um for me as well so I can kind of relate a bit to what you're um saying and that yeah it comes through on kind of other episodes as well that people are saying about that isolation or where's all that stress and I don't think we are really taught other coping Mm-mm. mechanisms for that um especially if like you're saying COVID certain ones have been shut down mm-hmm. in terms of socializing with our friends and and stuff um so I guess I think you kind of covered this, but it's on my question list. Um, what does having a relapse mean to you? Yeah. I think this is something that I have been really thinking about lately um, in terms of, you know, what's the... Di- because I, I I already said there that I felt like my eating sort of was in my shadow, um, whereas now I feel like I'm in a relapse. And I think for me, the 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 kind of distinguishing feature is that I before kind of had the thoughts in the back of my mind but I was able to tell them to go away Mm -hmm. and I was able to shut them down um 
my ability to manage it so I might have had like a couple of days where I restricted and I exercised in a compulsive way but then it'd be like no we're not doing this Hannah um this isn't kind of this isn't sustainable this isn't healthy and then I would turn to another coping mechanism like I would reach out to a friend or I'd do some art or something like that I think the difference for me in the relapse is that I think the difference that I've definitely found between my eating disorder now and when I was younger is that I'm fully aware. I am so incredibly aware of everything that I am doing. Whereas before I was not aware. I didn't see the kind of negative negativity. Like now I'm kind of messaging my doctor every week to give them updates about things. Whereas before I just like, I, I had no awareness of what I even needed to. And that might've come from like the educational aspect of it. Um, I guess I have a lot more knowledge about it now but I think the relapse to me in kind of how it's different to kind of the maintainable kind of livable eating disorder is it's just so stuck like I cannot I feel like I cannot break out of it it's that rigidity day in day out of having to have the same meals at the same time not being able to break away from that having to exercise in the same rigid pattern every day and putting those two things the exercise and the food before anything else in my life and you know it's having a massive impact on my relationship it's having a massive impact on my friendships it's terrifying my parents it's affecting you know job prospects but nothing else matters because the only thing that matters right now is the food and the exercise and I think that's to me the relapse is it's all consuming nothing comes before the eating disorder is life and everything else comes after whereas before life came first and the eating disorder kind of almost like if you had sand and water the eating disorder kind of went in between the sand um but now the eating disorder is just like a block and nothing else can fit inside it yeah thank you so much for sharing that with us I think that's a really good um analogy as well and like you were saying it might be like I before when you felt it was maintainable a thought comes up okay I can deal with that um thought but maybe at the minute not feeling like you have the resources um, yeah. Or it sounds like ability to be able to do that at this present time with everything else um, that's going on for you. Um, you kind of sort of answered this as well a little bit, but um, was it like a slow process to get to this point or was it more of an overnight thing that these things started happening and you just felt like more like, I can't question that rule, I've just got to do it. Just to go back to what you said, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the previous point as well, I think one thing that kind of just when you were saying it there it the relapse doesn't there's not even the recognition of I don't have other coping mechanisms it's just like this is the way that life is mm -hmm. like people people keep my mum keeps like saying to me like um oh but you know like just don't do it or like not just don't do it but like I oh, just you need you, she's not the way that I'm sounding it is making like sound like she's like just eat um but she <laughs> isn't but like when it's almost like it's just life like there is no choice there is no like coping mechanism of a or b it's just like this is how we do it I am not using it as a coping mechanism if that makes sense I'm just using it I think initially it was a coping mechanism for to fill a void whereas now it's just like the way things are um and I think I don't know whether other people have that experience because a lot of people say like I use my eating disorder as a coping mechanism. I don't feel like I'm using it as a coping mechanism. I just feel like this is the only option and I am trapped. Um, 
which I don't know if that's kind of what other people think but yeah it doesn't feel like I'm using it to cope anymore it just feels like this is the only option I have um of kind of things to do but then in terms of kind of overnight or kind of a slow process I think it's really hard but I I think it is a slow process um I think initially it was like you know I had all these particular behaviors and I kind of dipped my toe in it um it was like you know things feel a little uncomfortable um so let's dip our toe in you know you can just kind of just have Mm. a little have a little bit and then you can just fall back out um and then all of a sudden I think one thing that I found during the relapse is that nothing is ever enough. So I would dip my toe in a little bit and then I'd dip my foot in and then my, and then my whole body Mm -hmm. would be in. And then once I'd done that with one behavior, it was like, well, that's not enough. We need more. So then I'd go to another behavior and do the same process. And then, so I think it's, yeah, it's just ongoing in terms of like more and more is coming in. Um, But I think because of the sort of slow process of dipping a toe in and then a foot, it's really sneaky in that you don't really realise it's happening. Um, And yeah, I guess because of that, I'm able to mask it very well. So like if I go out with friends, because I've had like 14 years of it, I, I know very well how to kind of adapt a social situation to benefit the eating disorder um which I hate because you know I think one word that I really feel at the moment is manipulative you know every situation I'm I just went on holiday um with my partner and it was a great holiday I absolutely loved it but there were so many situations where I was like oh let's do this um because that's what the eating disorder wanted to do and you know he's very good now being like we're not doing that that's not what Hannah wants to do and that would really freak me out but that was what I needed um but yeah I think it's it was definitely a slow process and one that went very unnoticed um yeah and then all of a sudden it was like oh whoops we're here yeah I think like you say if you just dipped a toe in and then a foot it's not so um, noticeable compared to if you just jumped yeah, back into absolutely. it. But I'd say with, I suppose it's different with different behaviours, isn't it? Like the mm. contrast almost, because I guess if, I suppose in binging you could have a, ver- a level of a binge. Mm-hmm. But I guess with, if purging was vomiting, it's very clear I've just vomited. And obviously yeah. the amount of times that you do it per day or something, that can increase and stuff. Mm. Maybe it's more noticeable than like, I'll have a little bit less of this meal. Yeah. And then that's the pee um, slope, like you said. I think there's certain things now, um, like I say, that I feel like I'm in stable recovery, like mm. I wouldn't have a relapse. Obviously you can never say never, but I feel like <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just in my head, not appealing to do that anymore or I feel like I always oh just to come back to something that you said earlier as well in a minute about your job and um working mm-hmm. with people in the eating disorder thing um what was I gonna say oh yeah there's just certain things I feel like right I'm never gonna let myself do that again mm. so that would be make myself oh no I'm going back on myself now I was gonna say make myself vomit I suppose it would be in the context of um I'm like, this is an overshare. <laughs> like, because I was feeling bad about myself or the uh, other yeah. reasons. Because there was one time when I went on holiday and I felt so ill, like really, really ill mm-hmm. after 
I, I'd had something at the hotel a previous time and been fine. And then this time I just felt like horrific and we couldn't like stay up to watch the person like playing the guitar. We had to like go back to the room and I was trying to drink peppermint tea. And my husband, he, we talked about this in the last episode, actually, where we were talking about alcohol. He thinks like a tactical chunder in inverted commas is fine. He doesn't do it all the time by any yeah. means. Like he doesn't, but just to him, it's like, oh, sometimes he might do that after a night out and it's fine. It's its own little contained yeah. thing whether it's actually good for you or not um so he was just like just make yourself sick <laughs> because you just feel so awful like you might feel better if that yeah. food wasn't in you yeah yeah um so then I did and actually it didn't trigger anything I think because it was a different context because I was like yeah. oh my god should I I feel like just awful but would it be worse for me to do this and then my brain gets back in the pattern of like oh mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. you can do this for these other reasons but luckily it didn't it was just like oh okay that happened that was a bit weird like um yeah. I'm like what was my original point? I was gonna my original point was gonna be stuff that I wouldn't that wouldn't do anymore but then apparently I would in some situations but I don't <laughs> think <laughs> that was eating disorder related it was a whole other yeah. situation um I suppose the other thing is I guess I'm kind of lucky um in that a lot of my clients want to recover Mm. um tend to only work with people now who do want to recover rather than they're only here because their parents want them to recover or someone wants it for them um and how I structure my business I only have five clients like one-to-one at a time so um, I give them support between sessions and stuff um and then I do like other three-hour sessions and other kind of things um as well some random group sessions and stuff sometimes but I suppose it's not overwhelming to me. Like that's a level that I can cope mm-hmm. with those conversations and have other stuff yeah. to do outside of it. I I don't know how I would feel if I was talking all day mm-hmm. to people about their different eating disorders and I wasn't, cho- not that I'm choosing the clients, but you know, people weren't coming to me because we already yeah. feel like we're connecting or they're just, here's this person in front of you, right? Talk to them yeah. about their eating disorder. Like that probably would feel quite, overwhelming sorry just I was just thinking that when you were talking earlier yeah. um about the situation so I'm like where were we even about the oh yeah um I think it will be interesting if you listen back to this podcast so say you have this episode of relapse and say maybe things don't change for you for a while but you know if and when things do change if you it'll be interesting when you listen back to what you're saying now if you still feel the same mm. about it because I feel like maybe you're at the point like sometimes when I have clients that um come and see me they can they recognize that they're not okay like you say they're aware of what's happening but they like you say you feel like but I still need to do this thing mm-hmm. I can't not do this thing and a lot of the initial work is just about opening up the possibility Mm-hmm. that they could do something and I feel like a mini celebration in my head when they're like oh maybe I could or yeah. like just even just seeing that possibility sometimes it's like a several week mm-hmm. process yeah. that and I suppose with the neurolinguistic programming training that I did um one of the analogies was like it's almost like people are in a box not just about eating disorders about anything when you think this is the case I have absolutely have to do this thing it's the only way mm-hmm. And sometimes it's about helping them see, okay, look, you're in this box, outside of the box, like the lady drew a box on the screen with a little person in, like, and did some X's outside the box. It's like, how could we just open up that box? Mm-hmm. You're looking like, hmm, yeah, I don't know if I want to open up that box. <laughs> <laughs> is there a box, Rachel? Which is yeah. fine. Um, but sometimes it's just open up, oh, okay, look, there are different things, whether I want to do them or not. Mm-hmm. But like, 
for you, obviously I don't know if just met you, it sounds like it's very situational. Yeah. As well. And when you were saying before, like stuff about the situation changed and that how changed how you felt about food and your body and stuff. Maybe that's going to be the key for you. Yeah. At the minute, yeah. those things are going to help you see a different possibility. But if they don't change, it might be hard mm-hmm. given yeah. everything as it is now um, to change. I don't know how you feel yeah. about that summary. No, I think um, I think it's a really good point. And I guess what I'm trying not to do is because I I have left my current job now and I've got a new job starting in a couple of weeks and you know I'm very hopeful that that is going to change things um but I'm also trying to not say to myself Mm -hmm. that new job that's the way out because I think there's there's deeper work that needs to be done and it's interesting what you were saying about like the awareness stuff because I'm um doing a therapy group at the moment and uh it's like a dbt based one and we're talking about you know he was he basically like laid out the I think there's like five levels of maybe four but the first one is acceptance and then it's awareness and then it's action or something and then it's like maintenance or something like that um and I was like well I've got the awareness like I'm so aware of everything I'm doing and he was like and that's why you've never recovered because you've not accepted it and so we've been really working on like what do you need to accept in order to get better and that for me has been the hardest point because I can lay down everything that I need to accept um but it is so hard to accept it you know when mm-hmm. like you've just said you know to think that there could be more outside the box than what you're currently doing it's like yeah but like that's absolutely terrifying to think that there's stuff like outside of there that I could be doing like I could not be exercising like what what like I don't even know like how that would be possible um and I just wanted to say about and this might be controversial I don't think it is but what you were saying about like there being particular behaviors that you wouldn't go back to or like there being particular behaviors maybe like binging that it, you know if you binge you'd then be like okay there might be an issue here and I think that's one thing that I've really been thinking about and thinking about how do we change the stigma towards it because I think there's kind of like two aspects to this so the behaviors that I engaging for my eating disorder restriction and exercise are massively glorified in society um you know being able to restrict and being able to be dedicated to that people love that people comment on that people praise that and being able to exercise um you know I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and they were like why aren't your gym saying to you you know you've lost a lot of weight and you're in here a lot and I was like but they're not going to say that are they because that's you know predominantly that's what a gym is there for it's there for you to go and it's there mostly for people to lose weight to tone up um and they don't have the expertise to say to you like is everything okay if somebody came up to me in the gym and said you know your body shape's changed everything okay I'd be like why are you looking at me in the Mm -hmm. gym like I'd feel really uncomfortable by that but behaviors like binging or making yourself sick and things like that one they're like not behaviors that we have to engage in in day-to-day life you know everybody has to eat and therefore you might restrict everybody moves but you know making yourself sick and binging are not behaviors that like you know typically you engage in everyday life so one they're kind of obvious when they come back but they're also not things that are particularly glorified in society I think and this might sound really controversial but 
I do, I, I don't personally think this, but I do definitely think there's a hierarchy of eating disorders and anorexia is at the top because we live in a fat phobic society where weight loss is glorified. Um, and so I think that there's not the praise for those behaviours. I also think they're a lot more secretive. So there's not that praise. So maybe you wouldn't slip back into it. Uh, I mean, you could because it's secretive, but I don't think you would slip back into it with everybody else being aware of it around you as much. Whereas I found anorexia really easy to get back into because, you know, my grandparents have been commenting so much lately about how much weight I've lost and how good I look, which is just not helpful. Um, my face is like, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like, given you know someone's history about this thing, but I suppose they just don't yeah. have that awareness. I just find about it hilarious that. as yeah. well one of I mean it's not hilarious in the slightest and I I don't think they're trying to come from a bad place but one of them even follows me on Instagram and I put a post on like just want to say like I am in the middle of a real because I like to be honest with Mm -hmm. on full of beans and say about my experience because I didn't feel like I was being myself because I was hiding the fact that I was relapsing so I was like just to say I'm relapsing and like I'm you know I'm going to be honest about it because I think it's helpful for everyone and she liked it and then she saw me that weekend and was like you're looking so slim and lovely and I was like what this is- I think it maybe comes down to what you were saying about if there's a hierarchy of eating disorders but I think it's kind of I don't know how to explain this a superficial it's superficial in a way in that actually if people knew general people on the streets or even people like you say on uh, tumblr like glorifying anorexia but if they knew what does it entail what is your life like what are all these secretive behaviors what is it taking away from you the impact on your health if they knew everything it wouldn't be if they could see all the behind the scenes almost it wouldn't but just on the like on the face of it, like oh, yeah. doesn't that oh, I'd love to not eat, you know, comments yeah. like that. Um, and then yeah, just to say, I suppose I've also been thinking about um, like recovery or like the different behaviors, like you were talking about, and like binging. And I think I suppose the thing that I was pondering this morning when I was making a cup of tea, because um, I was thinking <laughs> of having another guest on to talk about this, is almost like I suppose. A binge, almost like you say, is a secretive. You're eating more than maybe your body needs, eating like past the point of fullness and things. And one way you don't need to do that. But in another, if it wasn't an eating disorder, I suppose we would just call it overeating and that's the, mm-hmm. what it would be and it would be done. And it doesn't mean you're not recovered if you've overeaten and you've made that choice, but it's like the psychology yeah. and stuff behind it. Just like if you skip a meal, doesn't mean that you're not recovered, for example but it's just what else is going on yeah. behind that. But I suppose there are some behaviors like making yourself vomit and stuff that are more or, or taking laxative to excess or something. Um, okay. So um, I'm going to ask this question anyway, but I think we've already covered it. Like <laughs> how, how are you coping with this relapse? So you've mentioned that you're doing therapy and things like you've recognized that there's this issue there are there any other things that you're doing uh like to cope with it yeah so like I said before I think the difference the massive difference here is my awareness of it um but that doesn't mean that my specific behaviors have changed at all and is it actually interesting because yesterday uh my partner like we sat we were sat on the sofa and he was like 
we were just watching TV and he just turned to me and he was like, can I ask you a question? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, are you actively doing anything right now to make yourself better? And I was like, if I'm being 100% honest, from my, me right now and my behaviours, no, I'm really not helping myself. But I don't feel mentally in a place where I can right now. Physically, yes, I could be doing more. I could be eating more. I could be exercising less. But I don't feel like I can. But what I am doing that I didn't do before was I'm reaching out for help. So and initially when I first was like, oh, something doesn't quite feel right here, I reached out to the doctor straight away. Um, My doctor literally just shout out to her because she has been absolutely you know you hear a lot of bad stories about GPs she is like the she she should just be like put on a pedestal and every doctor should be like her um she got me in straight away to the doctor's surgery had a chat about what was going on um she got me in for blood tests um and she put me in for a referral to the eating disorder service and then she also prescribed me the antidepressants, which, because my depression got quite bad, um, which was great. And then she did like a bi-weekly checkup of me. Um, so she'd ring me, ask me how I was doing. And unfortunately my weight dropped quite rapidly. So she got me back in, more blood tests, um, put me in for an urgent referral to the eating disorder team. And unfortunately, like, as we know, eating disorder services are so overrun at the moment. Um, but I think the fantastic thing has been is those bi-weekly checkups have continued. And whilst they haven't, you know, slowed any behaviours or, you know, they haven't changed anything, but I just feel heard. And I think deep down in the back of my mind, that has really, really helped to know that, yeah, things aren't great at the moment, but there is somebody looking out there for me. Um, And, you know, that might sound bad to say that I'm quite heavily leaning onto another service rather than trying to help myself but at the moment and it's really interesting because I remember doing I said to you at the at the start I did a podcast with one of my friends um just before my relapse really went into action and and she was unfortunately relapsing with her eating disorder and I remember saying to her you know exactly how to get better because you've done it before so why aren't you doing it and I didn't mean it as like a you know, like a, oh, for God's sake, like, why aren't you recovering? I was just interested to be like, why aren't you doing it when you know how to do it? And now I get it. It's, it's kind of, I'm not, you know, I don't feel like I physically can. Um, and that's really frustrating. But I think having the support around me um, in terms of reaching out to friends, you know, I've been very honest with everybody. I've not tried to shy away from this. I have literally said to my friends, I'm relapsing and I've not expected them to be like you know come to me and like look after me and all of this I just wanted them to be to know so that if there's a day where I'm like I'm not feeling too good today I'm, I'm not going to come um I the last thing I wanted that what happened before was I lost all of my friends because I shut them out I don't want I didn't want that to happen again and, and people have been a lot more supportive this time around but I think for me that's been the main thing is just communicating to people that this is what's going on, reaching out to the doctor um, and just knowing that there's certain people that I can check in with all the time, um, just in this phase where like I don't feel like I can pull myself out of it and just whilst I'm waiting for the services to get round to me. Yeah, I wonder if now, maybe at this present point, it is more about staying where you are yeah, rather than letting it progress. And like yeah. that's the words that are coming to mind are just like, that's enough for now yeah, because 
it sounds like you're functioning, you're able to do a job, like mm-hmm. it's having a big impact, but I don't want to say it could be worse because that's like, <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like there is further to go. Yeah. In terms of health or losing more weight and those sort of things. Maybe if actually maybe you feel like you can't challenge those things. And another point that I was gonna make is again, it took slow progress to get here. Mm. You know, it's not gonna be that everything is going to change overnight as well I think sometimes other people don't appreciate that like just starting with some small change or not that yeah. you'll feel like you want to at the minute but I just mean in general as a principle <laughs> like those challenging those small rules like you probably did last time about oh yeah. I'm gonna eat one minute different okay great that's enough for this week um but maybe just trying to stay where you are and yeah it's really interesting I've talked about this on the podcast before like it's just your whole mind is different and stuff just makes sense in a different way mm-hmm. when you have an eating disorder. So um, the, I don't know if you can relate to this. Um, So before I had an eating disorder, my friend had anorexia and I was thinking about her earlier when you were talking because she did lose quite a bit of weight at school and honestly, people started being nicer to her. Yeah. So she's obviously got this reinforcement of like, I need to be thin for people to like me or whatever belief she's making um, there, which whether that is true or not she's got some evidence um behind that but I went to her house and um she made a sandwich and I was kind of healthy eating inverted commas at that point so there were certain things about it that I would have changed if I'd have made it myself but I could you know still eat it it was fine Um, and we sat on the sofa and I was it was like a tuna sandwich and I was eating my tuna sandwich and she didn't touch hers and I was like are you gonna eat your sandwich or like in a nice way like why aren't you eating your sandwich and she was like I can't eat this because I'm gonna have to have dinner later with my parents and I was like what like I mean like I said I was healthy eating inverted commas or like on a diet or something so had some kind of rules or eating less and you know the kind of general diety healthy eating things healthy eating inverted commas I can say mm-hmm. um but you know I was like well breakfast lunch and dinner like you know that's just like yeah. it just didn't make sense to me and then I think I, when I realized I had an eating disorder because it made perfect sense to me mm. why she wouldn't have that, why I wouldn't have something because I would have something later in terms of quantities of food or certain types of foods and things. And it just made perfect sense. Whereas now I can see why people would think that, but it doesn't make perfect sense to me why you would do that because we need calories, yeah. you know, to function and stuff. So it's just interesting how this, I just find it so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, what I was saying earlier. If you listen back to these, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that did make sense at the time, what I was saying. But now it doesn't quite make sense. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think going back to what you just said, I think, like, the... I do agree with you in terms of, like, right now, just stay where you are. But I actually, like, I don't want that to be the message that people listening Mm -hmm. at home take. Because I think you know, I know full well that I shouldn't just be trying to maintain what I'm doing right now because maintaining what I'm doing right now just means more and more behaviours are getting added. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but my point would be if you were maintaining, they wouldn't be getting added. You would be staying true. here. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. Yeah, that is fair. Um, It just when you said it, I was like, oh so I'm finding and I know this is oh not okay case, yeah no good point the, thank you for bringing the that way up. that the <laughs> eating disorder twisted it in my head was like you know Rachel she's an expert and she's saying to you that you're fine um and I know that deep down 
like that is not what you meant in the slightest so I just kind of wanted to say that because I know if oh, I no, carry thank on you doing... so much <laughs> no no I I just wanted to say it because I didn't want other people to be listening and be like oh I could just carry on adding because that's what my head said mm-hmm. um which obviously is not what you were saying to do yeah um but I think it is really interesting how everything that like you said like that the eating just tells you it does just make perfect sense um and then you know like it's just silly things like kind of going to a restaurant with on holiday and seeing like the foods that people were ordering and I was like oh my god what the hell like not trying to judge them but like how could somebody eat that mm-hmm. like you know why would you put those foods together and my boyfriend would be like that sounds delicious I'm just like what but it was just like your brain is so contorted by you know there are certain foods that you can eat there are certain foods that you can't eat and then when you see someone else doing that you're like that's wild like that's so crazy um yeah so it's just mind-blowing how much it twists and it's not even just like food it's I find it's everything like initially I think it starts with you know focusing on food but then it's kind of your you know your exercise the clothes you wear the like activities that you do the amount of time that you do certain things you know seeing friends or whatever takes over everything and I think that's what people don't understand is that an eating disorder is not just food it's literally your life every decision you make is defined by the eating disorder because ultimately every decision you make will impact when you can exercise and when you can eat and what you can eat yeah I don't want this to sound offensive (laughs) because I think it might so I hope you do it the right way um but I suppose a question that people ask a lot and I'm feeling like maybe you don't have that at the minute Mm -hmm. um it's like how do you find the motivation to recover because it sounds like you're at that point that you've got this whole list of reasons on paper why you're like oh okay my mum's worried about me I know it's impacting my life I can't just go on holiday and eat that earlier you were like but (laughs) But I don't feel like I can do anything different apart from these things, which I get it feels very real Yeah. at this moment. Like, I suppose before, oh, I suppose before you said it was a situation change, but like, I suppose my question is around that motivation, because I don't think motivation is a be all and end all. I don't think you need to have motivation to recover, but it sounds like you've not found that one thing that's going to be the thing that's going to push you out of your comfort zone yeah. and make you challenge those rules. Like... I don't know, have people said anything on your podcast that's clicked with you about like, how how do you get that like, mm, whatever that thing is? Yeah. My yeah. hand gesture now is like that thing that's like, okay, <laughs> I'm effing done with this. Like. Yeah. Do you know what I think? Um, it's actually so interesting that you should say that because I have been rattling my brain and I remember sitting with my therapist and she was like, did you think that Ben... Um, do you think your partner's going to stick around forever if you stay at this? And I was like, no. And the other day I went on holiday with my mum and she cried when I took off, when I got undressed because she was like, my daughter is wasting away. And, you know, there's worries for me that my new job, if I have to go for day treatment or something, they're not going to keep me on after not working there for very long. And it's so interesting because... All of those things are massive things in my life, you know, upsetting my mum, losing my partner, losing my job. But for some reason, they're not enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing. 
you know eating disorders particularly anorexia are so black and white like you think that you have to have all the motivation in the world or no motivation or you have to have one massive thing that's going to motivate you or you have to have or like you have no motivation but I don't think it I don't think it is that I think it's 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 having the ability to pause in the moment and not necessarily be like you know if I recover then I can get married like that to me is too far away like to me I I think that I can get married with this but it has to be in that moment so I don't necessarily and this is just personal to me but I'm not looking for like one thing or like something to motivate me I am just needing that ability to stop for two seconds before I go and exercise before I put some food on my plate to think okay take a step back is this positive for recovery no and then you know add a bit more food on my plate or maybe do a different exercise or you know shave five minutes off the exercise or something like that because those small changes are gonna impact it overall more than sitting down and eating a full Sunday roast one time um and I think they're the sort of things that I could do if I was thinking about the big motivation so basically what I'm trying to say is I still need something to motivate me (laughs) yes I agree with I don't have currently which I don't think is offensive in the slightest I think that is massively what the situation is and I think being able to accept that you don't have that right now is actually one of the biggest things like that I've come to realize recently is I do not have the motivation right now um and realizing I don't need that big motivation but I need Mm -hmm. the little check-ins with myself that feels massive for me um now the next step is actually acting on that so rather than just being aware of it rather than just accepting it it's actually okay what are we going to do about that um which is why I think it's such a staged process rather than just being like oh my god I woke up this morning and I want to have kids when I'm 30 so best get eating to keep my period sort of thing because to me that's just too big Mm -hmm. and it's too far away yeah I mean I suppose on that thank you so much for sharing and just to say I think it's kind of um I don't want to say normal but um common maybe um for people to be like oh like you say your partner could leave you I actually end up splitting up with my he is now my husband um but we did split up because of my eating disorder and then we only got back together because we booked a holiday together that was like quite expensive and neither of us wanted to lose the money and we couldn't like (laughs) we would have to I think my friend might have been able to go with me but we would have to pay to change her name on the thing and then she wasn't sure if she could get the time off work so we were like oh okay we'll just go and see how it goes (laughs) and then we did end up getting back together although then I'd gone from restricting to having bulimia and other um stuff but we are now married so it did work out but only because of that reason but I remember at the time I was working for my parents and I was really sad that we split up because we'd only been going out for like a year but it was like my longest relationship and I'd like lived abroad in that time he'd come to visit me so like we'd done like kind of serious relationshipy type things um and I yeah I was crying at work because I was so sad about it probably because I wasn't eating enough to like control my emotions very well and stuff as well um but it like I remember thinking I'm choosing this over him but like you were saying before it didn't feel like a choice it felt like but I can't not Mm -hmm. I've got to do this like yes I care about him but also I can't change this for you um I don't know what happened after that it was like you say it was lots of little changes and just to say yeah for some people it is finding that thing I have had some clients who are like 
this is really affecting my relationships and we do some work on values and stuff and they realize oh that's the most important thing to me mm. and it's that realization that allows them to stop in the moment almost I know you're saying you need to stop in the moment but that's the way that they yeah. manage to do that but obviously there are different ways to manage to to stop I, and make that choice I think you just knocked the nail on the head you said I can't do this for you and mm-hmm. that is the key. You have to want to do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I've tried to recover for my partner. I've tried to recover for my parents, blah, blah, blah. I've tried to recover for all these external things. But I've never tried to do it for me. And until I want to do it because I value myself, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. And so, yes, that is the key. You've yeah. Just, you've just figured me this out. This sounds you've... awful, but I'm like, maybe you need some shit to happen. <laughs> and then you'll be like, oh, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel like for me with the bulimia, it got really bad. And then I was just like, I cannot keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, like you're saying, I cannot keep living like this. Yeah. If someone had told me, oh, that's not good for you or the other. I mean, I was yeah. living on my own at the time, so I could kind of do it. And people didn't really know mm-hmm. everything that was going on. Um, But I got sick of it. Yeah. And I was just like, right, I cannot be doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not, pe- I mean, it was appealing, but on the other hand, it's not. Yeah um okay and last question since we're near the end and thank you so much for exploring these different things with me I think it's really nice to like have a conversation Mm -hmm. about it and um not like challenge each other but just clarify and explore the different things it's been very Um, useful for me (laughs) (laughs) what would you say to someone who came to you and said I just want to eat normally Ooh, I think I would ask them what eating normally means um because i think there's like this idea of what eating normally means and i i just think that you know what the hell is normal because for one person that's having one large meal a day and for other people that's having six small meals a day um and that's always something that i have been trying to recognize in recovery in that i had this idea that recovery would be this beautiful thing where I would wear like white floral dresses every day and I'd run through fields and then there'd be like a slice of cake at the end and I'd be able to eat it up and all of this I'm just laughing because it's always jumping in a field yeah when I've done stuff before about recovery or like business training it's like what do you want your life and I think oh it would be me a picture jumping and then I'm like I don't even really want to jump in a field like exactly But it's all like this rainbows and butterflies Mm -hmm. and, you know, posting pictures on Instagram of look at all these meals out that Mm -hmm. I've been able to have and stuff. And to me, that's not recovery. Like recovery is not the food. Recovery is being able to, you know, arrange a dinner with friends and be like, I'm so excited to see my friends. They're going to have such good chats and I can't wait to catch up. Not, oh my God, like I'm going to have pizza and it's going to be the best tasting pizza in the world. And then I'm going to have like treacle tart and that's going to be delicious as well. It's, It's being present in the moment and like, you know, maybe having a slice of cake, but also being able to say, actually, I'm not really fancying cake today, but genuinely not fancying the cake. So I think, I mean, I kind of like changed the question there, but I, I think I'd just be like, you know, what does it actually mean to be normal? Or what does it mean to be recovered? Because I think we have these like illusions or these ideas when actually like it's so unique for everybody. We're all so different. Um, 
And I think as well, like when you say, I just want to eat normally, I don't think that you're actually thinking, I just want to eat normally. I think you're thinking more wide of that, of like, I don't want food to be my every thought. I don't want to, you know, have to go and binge and purge after a meal. I don't want my social activities, my hobbies to be affected. I think there's such a broader picture rather than just focusing on the food. Oh, thank you so much for your answer. And thank you for joining us. Where can people find you and the podcast? so um you can find full of beans um we're on instagram and twitter so it's just the fob podcast so the fob podcast um and then also the website is uh full of beans ed.co.uk um and you can find the podcast on kind of any of the usual apps that you would listen to a podcast on great bye Thank you for listening to the Just Eat Normally podcast. I hope you found this enjoyable, interesting and insightful and informative. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to hear the next episode. And just remember that you can check out the show notes for contact details and extra resources.